Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. When I was uh, seven years old, I, I remember this vividly. We made a trip to see my grandparents in the mountains of North Carolina. It was uh, a very hot, muggy summer day. And up there, I remember the gnats were so bad. I don't know if you guys know what gnats are, but they were so bad that, that you could barely go outside. And so that we would not completely tear up my grandparents' house and drive everybody crazy, my dad decided to take me and my older brother to his favorite swimming hole when he was a kid. When we get there, we, we see this almost perfect circle that had somehow been cut out from among the rocks that surrounded it. And that allowed the water to kind of build up in this area. I, I would say it was probably 14, 15 yards wide and maybe about 8 to 10 foot deep. Well, we get there, and immediately my brother Kent, who was 10 at the time, he jumps in, and he swims to the other side, and he comes back. Well, he gives me that check-me-out look, right? Well, I'm this seven-year-old cocky kid who's looking back at him going, hey, I got that. I got that. And I, I jump in. Well, guys, for about 10 seconds, everything was really going good. Then as I got a little tired, what I decided to do is I decided to stop and then, you know, go to the bottom and then get some breath and then swim again. Because that's what I did in my four-foot pool at, 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 our, you know, at our neighborhood. But as I went to touch the bottom, there was no bottom. At least there was no bottom that I could touch. And I began to panic. I do remember this. I remember somehow paddling, kind of dog paddling up to the top. And guys, I got one last breath, and I started sinking down to the bottom of the hole. I was tired. I had no way of helping myself. And I was hopeless. And without help, I was dead. Suddenly, I, I, I feel these arms around my waist and, 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 and driving me up towards the surface and dragging me over to the shore. You see, my dad had jumped in, and he had saved my physical life. I was dead, guys. I was dead with no way to help myself. And if my father had not jumped in, I certainly wouldn't be here sharing this with you. And today, as we continue in the study of the book of Ephesians, we, we, we find that the Apostle Paul is reminding the believers in Ephesus that they too were dead, that they were dead at one time. They were hopeless and without any help, any chance, excuse me, of helping themselves. So, so if you have your Bibles with you, will you do this, do this for me? Will you turn to Ephesians? And we're going to be in chapter 2 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. But before we go there, let me, let me share this with you. I think it'll kind of help us with the text today. So in the long history of the human race, there has been and continues to be three basic views 
or thoughts about human nature, who we are. You know, are we evil or are we good? Well, the first view says this. It says that man is well. The supporters of this view argue that all man needs is a good diet, some exercise, a few vitamins, and we can survive, and that we're not naturally evil people. The second view says this. The second view contends that man is sick. They agree that there is sickness there and maybe even moral sickness. But this situation is certainly not helpless. What they're saying there is that that we can somehow find a way to, to help or save ourselves. And then the third view is this. That man is dead. This view believes that man is neither well nor sick, but dead. That all his methods of self-help will avail to nothing, and without someone to save him, he will remain dead. And and what we read today very quickly in verse 1, that we, we understand that this is definitely Paul's view, right? And we understand that it's also the biblical view of human nature. So look with me in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, as for you, here's Paul speaking to the believers in Ephesus. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, now understand that. He's not saying that you were almost dead or that you were in danger of dying. But that because of the sin in your life, you were dead. I think many then and many today would say this. How can you say that? Because we see people walking, talking, moving, running every day. Doesn't that make them alive? But you see, Paul, Paul was speaking about the area of life that mattered most. He was speaking about the area of life that was built for eternity. He was speaking about our souls. And he says that in this area, As an unbeliever, there is no life. So outwardly, outwardly, you can look very much alive, but inside you are cut off from life because you are cut off from God. And because of this, because your souls were dead, you were blind to the reality, the demands, and the glory of Christ. And you did not love him or see the need for a Savior. Verses 2 through 3 says this. It says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I think you'll agree that most people believe that they can somehow decide their own fate or maybe go their own way or even chart their own course. But here, what we're told is that before Christ saved our souls, Satan was the one leading and guiding our lives. How how scary is that? And because he was, it says that we were under the influence of three things. This world, the devil, and our own flesh. Let's start with this world. Now, I I certainly don't have any problem understanding this one. Because before Christ came into my life, guys, this is how I lived. Because Mark and his wants and his desires came first over everything else that was going on. And what we see is this is still happening today in those whose lives are spiritually dead. Because without Christ, here's what we have to understand. Without Christ, we're held captive or enslaved 
to the social and the value system of this world, a world that is hostile to the ways of Jesus. The world teaches us, the world teaches us to hate those who don't think or act like us, whereas Christ tells us to love our enemies. You know, Christ demands that we are to forgive others even as they trespass against us, and the world says that this is a sign of weakness. Do, do you see this? Do you see how and why we're going in opposite directions? Can you see that? One is following the leading and the ways of Christ, and the other is under the influence of Satan himself. Listen to this description of Satan. It says this in John 12, 31. It says, Jesus calls Satan the prince or the ruler of this earth. In Matthew 9, 34, he's called the prince of demons. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is referred to as the little g God of this world. Guys, everyone, hear me now. Everyone will either be ruled by God or they'll be ruled by Satan. And those who reject Christ because they desire to pursue their own passions and desires for things like money, power, and pleasure have knowingly or unknowingly made Satan their God. But here's what I want you to see. So did we. So did we before Christ. Because in verse 3, Paul now declares that this spiritual death is universal. It's universal because he says now, all of us, okay? He went from you to all of us live this way at one time. Before he's speaking specifically to those in Ephesus or all Gentiles, but now he includes himself and the entire Jewish race. He goes on to say this. He says, they were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires of our minds and bodies. And I think we have to be careful here because we always think of the flesh as the body. But really, it's important to understand that our flesh will vary from person to person. Yes, some, for some it may be about the body, and that puts them at a risk for sexual sin. For others, it could be spiritual sin as they deal with pride and ego or thinking they're better than others. Or maybe we're dealing with anger, self-worth, or trust. But here's what we know. We're all dealing with something with our flesh because flesh listen flesh is really this flesh is anything that is in us that gives sin a chance okay let me say that again flesh is anything in us that gives sin a chance it's human nature without God and when we are living this way guys we're allowing the worst part of us to dominate our lives now, does this mean that only those saved by Christ ever do good things? No. No. Guys, all of us know many people who are outside the forgiveness of our Savior who are very good, moral, and, and nice people. And, and I hate to say this, but sometimes that makes them the hardest to reach. And here's what we have to understand. There's good and there's perfect. There's good and there's perfect, and God's scale is absolute perfection. And what that means is that every person ever born is in desperate need of a Savior, and there's only one. And then Paul finishes verse 3 by saying this. He says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He uses the pronoun we now here as to include every human that God ever created, saying that all of us, because of our, our sin nature, 
deserve the, the, the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God. These three verses are like boom, 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 right? And, and, and what's happening here is Paul's hammering home just how bad, how lost, and how hopeless we all were. He reminds us of who we were, whose we were, and how we used to live. Guys, before Christ, you and I were spiritually dead and our souls were lost. We were separated from God. We were controlled by Satan. We had absolutely no way of saving ourselves. And we were hopeless and we were headed for hell. That's who we were. And then suddenly, suddenly Paul, everything changes as Paul flips the script here in verse 4. Everything changes with two words. But God. But God. If you're, if you're taking notes today, circle that first but in the, as it starts the, the verse 4. Verse 4 and 5 says this. But because of his grateful love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. Most translations say, most translations say this. They say, um, but God, because of his great love for us. But God. I need you to see that this morning, guys. We were dead. We were lost. But God made us alive. Anytime you see but God in the Bible, please pay close attention to what comes next. Let me give you some incredible but God statements. Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God. Demonstrate his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? But God, he took away our sin through Christ, and that took away our wrath. Acts 7, 9 through 10. Because the patriarchs, or the brothers of Joseph, were jealous of him, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. You see, they thought they were done with Joseph. But God had other plans. 1 Samuel 23 through 14. David stayed in the desert in the strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day, Saul searched for him. But God, but God did not give David into his hands. God, Saul had an entire army looking for one man. And God would not let them find him. And then Acts 13, 29 through 30. When they carried out all that was written about him, speaking of Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God, but God raised him from the dead. Satan thought he had defeated Jesus, but God had other plans. These but God statements change everything, guys. They change everything. And what I want you to know is that that should give us hope in all situations and circumstances. Because here, what we're told over and over again, why but God? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And then in verse 5, we read this. It says that God made us alive. He made us alive. The only way that spiritually dead people can ever have a relationship with God is by having a spiritual resurrection. 
Something only God can provide through his son. Because Christ defeated both sin and death through his death and resurrection. And that and only that can give us spiritual life as well. I like what J.I. Packer said. He said this. He said, between us sinners and the thunderclouds of divine wrath stands the cross of the Lord Jesus. He is our substitute and sin bearer, transforming us from death to life. And then he finishes verse 5 saying this. It is by grace that we have been saved. We were spiritually dead with no way of saving ourselves. We were lost, without hope, and headed for hell. But God, but God came to our rescue. Verse 6 through 7 says this. It says, and God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How incredible is that, guys? How incredible is it? All because you and I have now been made alive through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we too have a place in heaven forever. You see, our reservations have been made and the Bible tells us that Christ himself is preparing our place. Can you imagine what that looks like? He goes on to talk about the incomparable riches of his grace. And it simply means this, that nothing can compare to what God has done in us and with us and what awaits us with him forever. One commentary said this. I like this. He said, all the gold, diamonds, and emeralds, and rubies in the world are like a speck of dust compared to the riches of God. Again, over and over and over, Paul says, all because he loved us, all because of God's kindness and grace, that we as believers get to experience what it's like to go from death to life, from corruption to redemption, from eternal damnation to eternal salvation. That's our God. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, but God. So why, right? Why does Paul, why did God put this on Paul's heart? Why does Paul continue to hammer on this? Why is he doing this? Guys, we were saved, right? We were saved. Our souls are saved from sin and from death through Jesus. And, and, and doesn't that mean that we were made new and forgiven and cleansed? So why are we looking back? Why are we remembering? Yes, yeah, we were cleansed. But see, as you and I remember how lost we were, as you and I remember who we were and who we were ruled by with no way of helping ourselves, then and only then do we become more able to understand what grace truly is. We have been given the greatest, greatest gift in the history of the world. And what happens is, guys, as we remember that daily, as we remember that daily, we fall more and more in love with our Savior. Because the more we know that we've been forgiven, the more we fall in love, right? The more we know someone's done for us, the more we love them. We don't take for granted or forget the cost of redemption. You see, the more we remember, the more we reflect, the more we go back and understand who we were and who we are now. We don't forget. We're also able to relate to 
and love those who are spiritually dead because we know we were as well. And as we remember who we were and where we were going but for the grace of God, we stay humble. We stay humble. Guys, when humility is in our lives, it gives us the opportunity to point others to Jesus. That humbleness, that humility that says, I did nothing but God did it all. That's what people relate to. That's what they understand. So many today are trying to work their way to God. You see, we have the chance once a month to do something here, right? We have the chance to, to take communion, right? Well, do you understand that? That is what communion is really all about. That's what it's all about, guys. That's what it's all about. It's about remembering who we were and whose we are. That's what it's all about. Communion began on the annual celebration of Passover. When Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper, he said this, to remember him, to remember him and his sacrifice as they ate the bread and drank the wine. You see, that's why this time is so important. That's why this time cannot be taken for granted. It has to be an intimate time, a time that we say thank you for all that you've done, a time that energizes you and I to continue on the journey God has for us. And it is to be taken only by those who are experiencing that transformation or those saved by the blood of Christ. And so I ask today as we go a little bit later that you honor that today. But please hear this. If for the first time God has opened the eyes of your heart today, if for the first time God has opened the eyes of your heart today and showed you who you presently are, please, please don't leave here today without talking to someone. At the end of the service, we'll have a, the prayer team in the back. I'll be up front. Anybody that you see, just, just grab somebody. Grab somebody and understand that you are spiritually dead. And before you leave here today, you can understand what it is to go from death to life. That is an amazing, amazing thing. And guys, I want to do something different today. I want to do this. Before we take communion, I'm asking you as a believer, I'm asking you to spend a couple of minutes before we do it, go any further. And I'm asking you to individually pray where you are. You can bow on your knees. You can stay in your, in your seat. You can stand, whatever you need to do. But I'm asking you before we go any further, please stop and remember. Stop and remember who we were. Stop and remember how you used to be. And then thank God. But God, but God stepped in and he changed our souls forever. That's what we are to remember. Let's pray.
in Luke 22:19. It says, he took the bread and gave thanks, speaking of Jesus, and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body giving for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, what my dad did for me was absolutely amazing. It was brave, and I'm so grateful. He's my hero on this earth for many other reasons than that, but, but I'm very grateful. But what I want you to understand is this. As great as it was, when I look at and compare it to what my Savior and Lord did for me, there is no comparison. There is no comparison. You see, the cost to my dad was a pair of wet pants. Now, again, I'm grateful, but the cost was a pair of wet pants. But the cost to my Savior, the cost to my Savior was leaving heaven and coming to a sin-filled world. Now, we can never fully understand that until we get there. But when we get there, we will see how incredible that commitment was. Willingly, willingly being bitten Beaten, bitten, being beaten and spit on. He might have got bit too, I don't know. But he was beaten and spit on, right? And they crucified him on a cross. And all the time, he could have walked down and, and, and taken care of everything. But his love for us wouldn't let him. My Savior willingly took on the sins of the world. How can I not remember? I was lost, but God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. God, you are an amazing, amazing God, and we are so blessed. God, may we never forget. May we remember daily. And may we, because of remembering, may we live with, with thankfulness and gratitude. And God, may, may that power empower us to be who you've called us to be. May that energize us to, to go on this journey you've caused us to go on. And God, every single day as we remember, may we live in a way that would point others to you. I pray this in the name of my Savior. Amen, amen, amen.